Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Clear to Close. I'm your host, Alan Paris. We typically do a dynamic duo for my co-host, Brian Traeger, but we have three here today. We're joined again by Anthony Ianni. Anthony was on our last episode, episode 24, about driving a profitable 2022. And he's back today, which we'll explain in a second. But before I get there, because we have three of us today, I looked for, and I actually didn't know this until this episode, I looked for the names of the actual three musketeers. And so the trivia question is, do any of you know any name of one of the three musketeers? Well, I'm going to guess, is one of them named Vincent? No. Sounds like someone in the Three Musketeers. I was going to say probably King Arthur. No. Athos, Aramis, and Porthos, which I thought they were French. Does not sound very French. It sounds more Latin, but, or Greek. It's almost all the rhetorical names. Yeah. There you go. Sounds more Monty Python-esque than anything. Yeah, Yeah. it does. So anyway, I am your host, Alan Paris, joined by... The Athos and Aramis to my Porthos, Brian Traeger and Anthony Ianni. Uh, thanks for joining us. Today's a little bit different episode where uh, we recorded an episode, episode 24, about how to drive a profitable 2022, posted it last month. And I think almost instantly with different market conditions, as well as wanting to continue to give lenders advice and some inspiration and recommendations, we wanted to continue to talk. And so today we want to just continue the conversation, give a little bit of an update of where the market is today, um, what has changed since last month, and then any changes in recommendations or how lenders can be viewing this next 2022 um, home buying season, as well as the rest of the year. Uh, Before we get into the conversation, if you are new to us, we are excited to have you check us out. Don't forget to subscribe uh, and shoot us over a review after the episode and what you thought. Uh, We strive for five-star reviews. So if you feel like we met that criteria, we would love for you to make our day. And then finally, before we jump in, we need to thank our uh, sponsor and beloved employer that makes all of Clear to Close happen possible, Maxwell. Maxwell's mortgage optimization platform provides America's local lenders forward-looking technology and solutions for the entire mortgage origination process, from intake of application to the secondary market. Backed by industry expertise, Maxwell's comprehensive offerings help lenders stay ahead of the competition while improving their workflow and margins. Each day, Maxwell empowers over 300 mortgage lenders, banks, and credit unions to serve tens of thousands of home buyers a modern lending experience. Lenders today on Maxwell close loans over 13 days faster and enable their loan officers to close over 15% more loans per month. To learn more about Maxwell, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax at highmaxwell.com. Well, boys, so let's give a little bit of a, with all the house cleaning items done. Let's give a little bit of a background of what's maybe changed since the past episode. So I think literally when we recorded episode 24 was the day that uh, Ukraine was invaded by Russia. So that is one major change that's happened. And AI, I'll jump to you for kind of impact that that has had in the markets. The other thing that's changed is we've gotten the most updated MBA Q4 performance report. Um, You know, last episode, we talked about margin compression, reduction of profitability across loans. And maybe not surprisingly, the Q4 numbers support that trend. So the average profit on a loan was uh, just over $1,000, the lowest level in three years. This is both a combination of rising loan costs as well as uh, reduction of revenue per loan. But overall, the trend is continuing the same. And I think as we go into 2022 with 
rising rates, kind of variable economy and some global markets in effect. A lot is unknown right now. So with that context, AI, I'll pitch it over to you to kind of give an update on what you're seeing and hearing. I know you spend a lot more time caring about what the Fed's doing and, and what you see in the market today. And I think, you know, obviously when we started as, you know, to your point, Russia invaded Ukraine, everything was really in flux when we recorded that podcast. But in the meantime, you know, crude as a result of that incident, you know, crude has traded upwards close to $130 a barrel. We have gasoline, at least here in Colorado, over four bucks a gallon. Commodity prices are up. You know, staples are up. One bag at the grocery store is now costing you a boatload of cash, as I can attest to from this past weekend. You know, a lot of different things. And then, then to just add to the enjoyment, Fed comes in, raises rates a quarter. They seemed like they were going to be really mellow in there and very thoughtful and mindful the way that they raised rates to try and tamp down inflation. And then all of a sudden, we had Fed Chair Powell come in last week and say, yeah, maybe, we, uh, maybe we're a little behind the eight ball here. So maybe the next one or two, we're going to raise like 50 basis points instead. That kind of sent everything in a tailspin. So, you know, there's a lot to navigate, right? So rates have really shot up at least on the on the fixed rate side and lenders are definitely feeling the pinch although you know some and just chatting with them some are some are still somewhat optimistic so it's kind of interesting to see how this whole thing has been playing out i mean brian what are you seeing from your end yeah i mean there's chaos it's 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 kind of yeah. wild and so uh people are trying to see if and when dust will settle but overall it's uncertainty land but the uncertainty because we've been in so much change over the last few years, it's kind of normal. And they're resting into that new normal of uncertainty, which hopefully, like I said, the dust will settle and it'll be a little bit calmer, but no one really knows. So forecasts are TBD. Uh, everyone has their models. Everyone has predictions, but everything can change. You know, you hit on a good word there too, normal, right? So some of our folks were at a recent conference and they came back after chatting with lenders and the lenders were all, you know, for the most part, fairly positive. And the reaction back was, we've been here before, we've seen this, right? So maybe we've all gotten a little laissez-faire, I'll throw a little bit of whatever language that is to kind of go along with your years thing or whatever. And so maybe we've gotten a little lackadaisical there and, and now we're back to a new normal or back to what is normal. God, Brian, yeah. The piece that I thought was really important was looking at that average net gain that Alan mentioned of $1,000 of net income uh, per loan originated in, in the fourth quarter of 2021. We talked about this last time. I'm going to reiterate it. That's awesome. That is not bad. And if you extrapolate that out, thinking about average number of loans that a loan officer does in a month times however many loan officers are in a small mortgage company even, whoever owns that mortgage company is doing just fine. And $1,000 of profit is still profit. We're not in the negative realm where we have been in the past. And so a lot of folks you know, might be reading headlines or, or things like that, calling it chaos, like I even just mentioned, but chaos specifically with margins. It's really not the case because the baseline it, is different. The baseline shouldn't be 2022. It shouldn't be 2021. And $1,000 is actually quite good in my opinion, because 
like I said, it's not negative. We're doing fine. Keep going. You know, that's a great point, Brian, because, and totally agree with that. A longtime industry contact does a, some, some daily commentary, and I was looking at his contact this morning, so very timely. In 2018, independent mortgage bankers earned almost nothing, where today, to your point, they're earning, you know, almost $1,100 a file, right? That's exactly right. And yes, you may have made a lot of money in 2020 and hopefully built your war chest up a little bit. So this is okay. And this goes back to the sentiment of what we heard at the recent mortgage conferences is, yes, it's different, but it's okay. We're going to be all right if this is the normal that we're going after. Going with that perspective into the spring home buying season, into the summer is a great way of looking at it because there should only be upside from here regardless of the margins and, and all that jazz, there should only be upside because of volume. And volume solves a lot of problems, but you also got to go get that volume first. So make sure that you're covering all of your break-evens that we had chatted about. Go get that volume now. It's important. Mm -hmm. and, and you're right about the spring season. You know, we're coming off cold spell here in Colorado. It's been warm this past weekend. Hopefully folks were out looking for houses. I know that they're in short supply, but just riding my bike around Morrison and Littleton this weekend, and there's a lot of subdivisions going up. So somewhere this lumber is coming from. And, you know, so I'm optimistic that folks are going to have a decent spring. I, mean, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with that, but I'm seeing a lot of building in my neck of the woods. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in general, it looks like if you, I mean, I think it's a good point of it's a return to normal. If you just kind of remove 2020 and 2021 from the charts, it's a very different, it's actually a really positive chart look of of total purchase volume and, and total origination volume if you remove those outliers. And I think the a lot of the commentary, you know, from the news is this drop and, you know, and we say it too, we said it on the probably the last episode too, of this drop in, in mortgage volume. But I think you just have to view 2020 and 2021 differently. The thing I will put as devil's advocate though, is the trend I do not like, or at least to me does not make sense in how it maybe would, is worth diving into is the cost to originate a loan continues to go up year after year after year. And yes, Brian, you are making more money now than you were in 2018, but the cost is going up exponentially. And at the same time though, it's not because of spending more on marketing to try to drive more volume or anything to drive more profit. It really is just the cost of doing the work, which, which is concerning, I think. And, and I think as you think about future instability of changing a volume that could happen or whatever it is, having that heavy weight of cost is not going to make you feel good going into, into these unknown periods. Yeah. And that's, it's hard to talk in generalities with costs rising because yeah. you have to look at your business quite specifically. AI, you just mentioned all the mac macroeconomic factors at play with inflation and, and those things. Like, so are the costs rising because wages have increased and now your staff who used to make X now makes X plus 10% or whatever yeah. it might be? Um, the cost of technologies, the cost of Literally everything could be going up. So you have to analyze it by your business. And 
go and talk about the contracts you have. Go beat them up. We talked about that, you know? That's why it has to be done by you, your teams, and your company at hand. It can't be done by any of us saying, hey, wave this wand and pull this lever because it's unique to what you have in your business. And if you don't look at it individually like that, almost line by line or contract by contract, you're not gonna know the levers that are pushing on your business downward. So yeah, costs are rising, but where? Now we can talk about generalities. Across the industry, you can definitely pick out some areas. We were at the ICE conference a couple of weeks ago. There was so much buzz. The exhibit hall was bumping. And I was talking to, to a prospect and I said, hey, you might have the hardest job in, in all of the mortgage industry. She said, what, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you, you have to go sift through all of these exhibitors, all the other ones that aren't here, the 10,000 vendors or partners or technologies in the mortgage space that have entered. And you have to pick the perfect set for you guys. And there's transition costs when you don't pick the right set. There's a lot of cost in that, plus obviously the contract at hand. So there's a lot that goes into solving the cost battle. But Alan, you're right. The trend is going up. What does that mean for you? Make it go down. Volume doesn't solve all the world's problems. And when margin compression happens, which it is, you could be left uh, really tight. I think there's a lot of power in that reevaluation piece, Brian, and I totally agree with that. And I know we touched on it in the previous the previous session, but I think that those kind of items are important. You know, maybe two years ago you were under, you felt you were under pressure and you just pushed go on something that now you realize, man, this is not only not doing anything for me, but it's costing me a boatload too. So reevaluate those relationships and maybe, you know, maybe instead of looking at multiple relationships look at one or two that offer you way more services right yeah no doubt it makes me think we've we've touched on a topic here even in the last minute a couple of times but i want to identify what that exactly is and that's margin compression so ai walking through the secondary side on that and the perspective of revenue compressing when you're selling a loan in the secondary market going from $10 to $8 or whatever basis points we want to convert that into. Could you talk us through what that means really? You know, it's it's interesting. So margin compression can mean a couple of different things. One, it's one, it's just your, you know, pure pricing, right? So and even Fannie and Freddie. So if you're delivering loans to Fannie and Freddie and then you're either retaining that servicing, you're selling it off through the servicing marketplace, everyone's paying for that, right? So as volume becomes a little tighter, or maybe the market becomes a little more volatile, investors will add or subtract margin. You hear me talk about that, that piece of it a lot. So investors will add or subtract margin depending on what happens in the marketplace. And I think as you know, in 2020, everyone was trying to gain market share, right? So they were they were paying out the nose for production. Today, depending on the day of the week and how volatile it is, folks aren't paying as much, right? So, so how do you kind of combat some of those those prices coming down? One of the ways to do it is to kind of think like the investors. So, as the market's becoming volatile, you either add or subtract margin to your pricing, so you're always protecting your pipeline. I think it's another thing to do to kind of insulate yourself from those kind of whipsaws is to monitor your exceptions. Maybe it's not a good idea to give exceptions away. One way to do it, you say this all the time, they're your numbers. Go back in time and see what your 
what you gave away in, in exceptions when the market was really good. So And, and the exceptions you're yeah. talking about when a loan officer comes and says, hey, I'd like to go down 25 mm -hmm. basis points above my threshold so I can win the deal or for whatever reason they say. Yeah. And that by the sales manager or if I guess the capital markets leader, they're going to approve that exception to go lower on revenue, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you have to be, to be candid, you have to be stingy about that kind of stuff. Personally, I was very stingy when I was managing the pipeline. I wouldn't give anything away. So I had a board of directors, so I wasn't very nice and loan officer. <laughs> what do you want me to do? But I think the other thing too is, is some folks are resistant to adding investors. I don't agree with that. I think the more investors that you have, I'm not saying go out and have 50 investors, but what I'm saying is, is if you presently have 10, give consideration to adding two or three more. So that way you are always ready to take advantage of the best price any day you go into the marketplace to sell your loans. That's going to take a little bit of that, you know, the effects of compression away from you because you're always taking the best price. Going beyond the investor, though, I guess I guess this is the investor, but like the, mm -hmm. the, the Federal Reserve, they're scaling back their buying of MBSs, right? And mm -hmm. they are a huge, historically, have been a huge buyer of this product or mortgages in general. So when they get out, demand for it dramatically decreases, but supply stays the same, mm -hmm. let's just say. So then that has a complete negative impact on price of those securities too, which then drive all the way down mm -hmm. to the loan by loan basis. So with mm -hmm. the Fed getting out of that business, is that one of the main drivers for the increase? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely a driver. So, you know, the hope is there's going to be a little bit of an uptick with maybe some of the funds or some of the foreign. And I, you know, some people may not agree or disagree with this, but a lot of our mortgage debt is owned by countries not called the United States of America. So maybe folks come in based on yield. They like that 5% yield with 30 year fixed at five or so percent to where it is. Maybe they come in and buy some of that debt. So maybe they kind of pick up the slack on, on some of that. But yeah, I mean, that to be candid, that remains to be seen. I thought foreign investors couldn't invest directly into mortgage-backed securities I in the United were, States. But, but I thought some governments, I could be wrong about that. But I They probably some, do if they're special vehicles. Yeah, I mean, I thought some were like, I thought they were still, I thought there was still a high percentage of mortgage-backed securities in, that were, were sold overseas and purchased by other investors. I could be wrong about that. And that's probably true. I think maybe what I had in my head was just direct investment. Mm. And so they have to do it through some investment of an investment. Right. So it's interesting. I mean, a lot of it remains to be seen. I mean, we started to see some of this in 2018. We had a little bit of this, remember the taper tantrum in 2013, which I actually think you and I were kind of talking offline about this, but I actually think that the 2013 taper tantrum was more violent. My, my recollection is it was more violent back then than what's happening today. Like we've seen this relatively slow rise, in my opinion, slow rise in rates where, you know, all of us were at the secondary in, in May of 2013. And, you know, the Fed came in and said they were going to do X and all of a sudden rates just went through the roof and it happened in a very brief period of time. So it feels like this one's a little more orderly. I know I'm probably going to get some negative email on that one, but <laughs> sorry. Alan, so I think kind of turning this back is margin is looked at it in a lot of different ways. One, we just mentioned on the compressed areas of revenue or price that you're selling it for. But what you can control as somebody in, in a, an origination business is the cost. 
because you're subject to the secondary markets and those prices. Yeah, you can add investors and get more and better execution and all that stuff. But really, you should be managing your business at cost. Am I right there based on what you were just talking about a little bit ago? No, yeah, I think that's right. I think what I think is an interesting evaluation is understanding how much of your rising rates or, or your rising cost is because of a change in volume that's happening in your business versus a change in the actual cost to fulfill a loan. And so even though those are tied together, there's are you actually adding costs into your in in how much it takes to to generate a loan? Or is it just that your costs have stayed are extremely fixed costs and you have lower volume? Both of those are not good things. You just need to adjust. You have different plans of action of how you go solve those and fix those if you want to make more margin per loan, if you're not happy with the $1,000 per loan or whatever it is. I think also being flexible and how and truly understanding your costs gives you the power to be more comfortable with shifts in volume of the industry. I think from my five years now in the industry, and even looking back further, you have all these highs and lows. And so those always cause these panic moments and these kind of rejoice moments. But if you are no longer kind of unknown on how much these fixed costs are going to change your your per unit economics, it gives you more power and understand that you can be nimble and adjust in whatever the market throws to you. That just got me so excited. It got me back to my analyst days of you know, understanding your variables, running autocorrelation tests and, oh. and regressions on your own financials and seeing where it goes. Man, I'm excited, Alan. You know, I think you and I start in very similar analyst life. So I'm glad we can finally join back and enjoy this time together. Yeah. Also, side note, Alan, congratulations on your upcoming five-year anniversary at Maxwell. Huh? Yeah, the, uh, upcoming. Wow. I think it's happened. I think. It's it's, oh, I thought it was in April. I don't know. It's some, maybe it's April. Yeah. I mean, I know more it's about March 28th right now. So yeah, there you go. You done good, Judy Prowse. <laughs> you done good. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, my mother is a listener on our on our show. So Love there it. you go. Okay, so let's talk about we're in this higher rate environment. What are some things some um, lenders can take in consideration or evaluate to get the most out of this environment that maybe they have forgotten or had amnesia post 2020 and 2021 world? What are some things that lenders can do? Brian, maybe I'll start with you on maybe a tip or recommendation. Yeah. And I first look to products, 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 products. What do you have in your arsenal that maybe is not being utilized or, or can be deployed in a better way right now? Or what products do you need to in, invite into your product mix to allow for your sales folks to, to go out and sell? Uh, the one that we talked about this morning as a group was even on the, the refinances. Yes, refinances are plummeting. Those are traditional refinances, right? Because the rates were low, people refi. But even in a rising interest rate environment, it still makes sense for some people to refi. And the cash out refi is one that you've seen a lot of attention towards from Quicken Loans, I think was doing a big, you know, they throw around their 200, $300 million marketing budget with some of those things. So a lot of the direct consumer brands are looking at cash out refis for investors who went or buying all those Airbnb properties, all that good stuff. So don't forget about refinances, even when rates are rising, because there's still people out there that either missed the boat or on vacation for two years. I don't know or they actually could use the cash out to go do something else. So that's that's one that people should be looking at and deploying. The other one is, is ARMS or the adjustable rate mortgages. And 
AI, I want to introduce this one with a question okay. because we could go in a long different, a couple of different ways with talking about arms, but I want to focus it on, on one specific example. And I had a friend who reached out to me last week and he asked me the following question, which I thought was a really great question, first and foremost, but two is, is a perfect example of what's going on with people who are borrowing right now. Mm-hmm. So he said, do you think mortgage rates will be lower at some point in the next 10 years than where they are at today? And his specific example was, I have an offer to do a 10-year arm at three and a quarter or a 30-year fixed at four and a quarter. So three and a quarter, four and a quarter, one point. Give us your thoughts on that. And what was the adjustable? It was at three and a quarter. Three and a quarter. And And it was a five one? A 10 one. A 10 one. Mm -hmm. Woo. You know, I like adjustable rate mortgages. We rode from 2003. Well, it was actually a five one, right? We rode that thing after it converted to a one-year arm. It was like 2%. I think at one point it was like, I think the floor on it was like 2%. So that's where we stood for a long so time. Pers- right? Your personal mortgage. Yes, our personal mortgage. So after my wife like was very un- unhappy with me with choosing a 5-1 arm, she was very happy with me once it converted. So I like adjustables. I do think rates will, will probably be lower in the next 10. I think, you know, we're just in the beginning parts of this cycle. Obviously, you got to get through what this looks like. We don't know what's going to happen if we can get the war resolved sooner rather than later. Hopefully, that'll bring things, that'll calm things down a little bit. And then the Fed can really focus on inflation. And so my gut tells me I think rates will will be below their current, let's say, Four and where are we at four and three quarters, five percent. Some folks are probably quoting five percent. So I do, I do think, in, in my opinion, I kind of like the arm because I think it's going to be. I think rates are going to be lower, probably in the next five or six years. I'm the opposite yeah. camp. I see. Yeah. I my advice to him, and now I need to go give him your advice. <laughs> I don't know. Was yeah. I was like, I think it's all about risk, right? And yeah. and so, hey, I said, put yourself in your future 10 years from now or 30 years from now and say, hey, do you accept the risk at at your four and a quarter at 30, expecting you to be employable and to have the cash flow that you have today for 30 more years? Because if you feel comfortable with that rate, four and a quarter, given all of future uncertainty, then lock that in, man. Four and a quarter is pretty darn cheap, honestly. Well, yeah, I agree. Four and a quarter is a great rate. I mean, I think everyone everyone that probably knows me knows how long I've been doing this. And I got into business with rates are, I don't know, 11 and a half or 12%. Yeah. I've kind of lost track, right? So they were super hot. Four and a quarter is a good rate. But to your point, you know, your friend, young guy, early on in his career, upwardly mobile to use the 80s term. And, <laughs> and if he's feeling pretty confident about his, you know, his position in life, I would say, Roll the dice. So if you go to Blackhawk to gamble, I'd just roll it. (laughs) Yeah. But so, and that's what I think the pandemic brought out a lot of uncertainty in a lot of professions that didn't historically have that volatility. And one of them being a physician's assistance was one that got hit pretty hard where the hospitals and and the places that they worked at said, sorry, we we can't afford you right now because everything, whatever they do, it wasn't needed because all the hospitals were focused on the pandemic. And so a lot of folks got furloughed. And when you go to school for that long and you expect to be employable through everything, even pandemics, and you're not, your cash flow just changed. And so that is a whole new perspective for folks. Um, same thing 
very different, but similar with you know the financial crisis where everyone thought that their 401ks or their pensions were going to be fantastic forever. And then that hit and wiped them out. Yep. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And now, not just the, what your investments are, but also in your own occupation and cash flow. So I'm saying, even if you have that confidence in your in, in that your ability to be employable for the next 30 years, you really don't know. And I'm risk averse. Maybe that's the Midwesterner in me. He rebels on the East and West Coast or wherever. Again, yeah, SEC football, we get it. Anyway, I think you just take in that longer rate, you fix it, you're better off than having a double whammy of 10 years, one month from now, something happens to housing prices, something happens with your job, whatever, and you get hit twice and you can't afford it, you're underwater, you have to sell it, short sell it, or get foreclosed on, and now you owe money or got to go bankrupt. I just don't ever want that situation. So the longer looks better for me. Yeah. So Brian is definitely not. So Brian is definitely not a customer of the arm. However, there likely are uh, in this market. I mean, AI. I think when we were talking about it, you were saying there's tons of people in this industry who have never mm-hmm. dealt with an adjustable rate mortgage. True. How do you get your LOs, team members, up to speed and get the most out of this opportunity? While uh, if it's a completely new world for you, uh, I think first and foremost, you lean on your existing investor set to have those folks come in and do some arm training. You know, those guys, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's easy selling 30 year fixed, but it's easy selling 30 year fixed. You do have to work a little harder on the adjustables because you have all these things that you have to think about, right? You have the compliance piece that's on top of it. The underwrite's a little different. The way you qualify your borrower is going to be different. The way those loans are priced, they're going to be different. So there's, there's definitely a lot of work there. I think first and foremost, that's where it has to happen. I'm not 100% certain if any of the mortgage insurers provide any type of product training like that. Obviously, anything greater than 80%, you're going to have to have mortgage insurance on that product. So there may be some stuff that that folks that are maybe on the newer side of the industry can kind of lean in and, and learn from them. But I think, I do think the correspondent guys are going to have to, you know, all of my friends out there that do this, you're going to have to step up and start training. And so uh, I know we're a little bit tight on time uh, for today's episode. So maybe AI, if we simplify it into one recommendation you have or opportunity you see lenders can have in a, in a rising rate environment, what would mm-hmm. you what would you add on here? Think like your investors. As the market's volatile, increase margin. It's the easiest way to control things and to protect your company. Well, so as things are volatile, increase margin to protect. Does increasing margin during those times also mean that you miss out on selling loans? You very well could, but I would I would say better to miss out on a few loans than to take a, a huge bath on those because you took those overnight or you got caught in the middle of a reprice or gotcha. You know, so you're talking about like yeah. really short-term volatility. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think within because, the hours. Because yes, because folks can get, I mean, I've, we saw it in 2020, folks can get burned. By not mm. thinking that way. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause yeah, mm. you could wake up the next morning. Oh, it can happen. And be and be out. Oh, yeah. That's why I don't do any overnight rates. I mean, I know people will hate me for this, but I would be very careful in a volatile market doing anything like that. At least if you're offering them today, give consideration at least temporarily suspending those. And how do you know? And this is a newbie question, is it how do you know? when you can start getting comfortable doing that again? Like how much stability needs to happen 
consistently for you to feel confident for doing overnight stuff or whatever? Like, how, is is that a, a short term kind of focus for this period, or is this a hey next couple years like don't do it? I think for the time being, it's going to be short term. I think we have to get through the May FOMC meeting, let them raise. You know, it feels like it's going to be a half a point. Let's see how that shakes through the market. I think. The market's different. It feels like the U.S. economy has some resiliency to it. So, you know, look, stocks are rallying. We've had good earnings in the first quarter from a lot of companies coast to coast. You know, employment looks really good. We're going to get a peak at March employment this Friday. Certainly inflation's a problem. But I think if the Fed can get ahead of it, Brian, you were going to... So is the volatility you're looking at in in the bond market in the 10-year yeah. or also, yeah, I'm looking, in, I'm looking you at, know, VIX on... Equities. No, I'm not looking at the VIX. I'm looking at volatility in the in U.S. Treasuries and mortgage securities. Got it. So it feels. I mean, it feels to me like it's short term. Feels to me. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, we had a little bit more brief time uh, than we typically have, uh, so I think this is a good stopping spot for us today. Again, thanks you two for joining and uh, spitting your wisdom uh, to the to the ears of our listeners. For those of you who are new to Clear Clothes, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to check out past episodes and don't forget to hit that subscribe button when you're done. Also, we would love to hear feedback on topics and what you thought about our past shows and topics of potential future shows. Leave us in the comments. And then we have to thank our uh, employer and sponsor who makes this all possible, Maxwell. To learn more about Maxwell, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax at highmaxwell.com. Until next time, any big parting wisdom or words, Brian? I think this big parting wisdom, no. But I want to show my appreciation to AI and thank you for, you know, we, we sometimes go on the other side of the coin, but it's always fun to have those conversations. I think it's important to have those folks around you and your life is to be able to argue a little bit, take other no, sides. No, I love doing that. Are you kidding? We should do yeah. it more often. Hey, so, we're getting that. Yeah. I think Absolutely. the big learning here is that AI likes risk in his life and a positive reward. And Brian is a very conservative, risk-averse Midwest. Hey, I've been skydiving. I've been bungee jumping. See? I uh, do some extreme things too. See, I will tell you. And as I've gotten older, those descents down these mountain passes, I'm a little more, a little slower these days than I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let those knees slow you down, AI. That's all right. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining. And until the next episode, happy lending. All right. Catch you later.